Welcome to the Beef Up After Party. What up? Can we, you just talk us through what's about to happen here? Carnage. I'm not a big drinker, so this could get interesting. <laughs> I'm sorry if this microphone wears. Am I supposed to be serious or not on this? So it'll be basically be the same system. The same system. But, but with ours. Yeah. The total web meltdown. Okay, long story short, basically we screwed it up. Because this festival hasn't broken me enough. Oh, f it, motorbikes. <laughs> Craig, welcome to the Beef Up After Party. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Wes. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, not a problem. Thanks for being on. What's been happening? What, um, you are looking at your, oh, look, I'm just looking at your little bio on the BFOP webpage here. Now, I think everyone that's a BFOP groupie that's attended the festival would recognize your voice and would know Craig Wetchin. But let's just talk us through who you are really quickly. What's the 30-second rundown of who Craig is a photographer and what you've done in your career? Uh, who am I in 30 seconds? Um, I am passionately passionate about photography i am i love how you can always create something new with a subject that's in front of you no matter what the subject is um i am passionate about lego i love my lego i can't build enough lego at the moment um that my my wallet doesn't sustain um so there's something outside of photography that um, some people may or may not know, but um, I just love doing stuff out in the world with vision, seeing the world in a different way. And you've been in the if um, you've been in the industry for longer than thirty years, and that's correct. and then in in the Australian photography industry for more than twenty years. Correct. I've been here actually. Um, 24 years now wow that's a long so, time i am almost next year i will be here 50 percent of my life wow and no plans to ever go back to the states no plans absolutely <laughs> not a snowflake chance especially not at the moment no way no way i, I look I, i'm i'm proud to call myself an american in one sense but i'm even prouder to call myself an australian now yeah. Uh, well, it's good to have you. We are honoured to have you. Now you're part of the furniture at Beefop. Now, how have you have you been to every Beefop? I've been to every Beefop from day one. From day one, twenty seventeen. Yep. So, how have you seen it change over the three years that it's been running? Um, it's how have I seen it change? Well, um, I think not seeing Matt and um and Nick so chaotic. I think they're a little bit more relaxed. Last year was uh, was much more relaxed. Um, they probably would beg to differ with me, but you know, come on, it wouldn't be fun if we weren't poking fun at them. No, that, I think that's because uh, I remember the I remember the I remember the first beef up man. Uh, you couldn't even get um, a thirty second uh, window with Matt or uh, or Nick because they were running around like headless chooks. <laughs> uh, but look, it's become a lot more. Um, it, look, it was like that the first year, very, very community oriented, but I think it's just, it's just the community has just grown exponentially. And I think there's a lot of people that have been to every single BFOP. Um, and 
and I think they've even noticed that it's becoming more communal. Um, what I also like is mixing it up is, um, you know, we, from, for example, for myself, you know, doing the uh, environmental portraits and lighting and things like that. Um, you know, first two years we were out doing the blacksmithing. And then last year we, we didn't do the blacksmiths. We went and um, we did a gunsmith and, um, you know, woodworker. Um, and that was just so much fun. And we did the Brumbies um, as well. So, you know, this year, uh, fingers crossed that we have this year, um, we're hopefully going to get um, some new people. Now, I think the Brumbies has been probably the outstanding, most popular workshop over the years. I think that's the one that always fills up the quickest that everyone's always trying to get on. From what I understand, the very first, when we when we ran that the first year, it was it was like sold out in less than five minutes. It was crazy how quick it went, and and just it was everybody it was wanted to get onto it. Why do you think it that was is? So much fun. Why do you think what the breaking the bum? Why do you think the breaking the Brumbies is such a popular one that everyone wants to get on so quick? I think people love horses, and I think the the uh, the old adage of the 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 cowboy cowgirl. Um, you know, that, that side of things, the ranch, that, that feeling. And I think the idea of, you know, working with wild horses, um, Brumbies, um, is a nice lure for people to, uh, to come to. Um, and it was something very different too. So, um, I, yeah, it was, it was just, it's been, yeah, it's been great the last mm. couple of years to yeah, there's something so majestic and almost mythical about the wild horses. Yeah, absolutely. And the second, and the second you did it, if you did a Google search for them, um, you know, I think people probably and they looked at that and go, "Wow!" You know, look at the 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 ranch itself, which was moved um, to that spot. It's just it's majestic. Talking about BFOP, then, what has BFOP taught you? Uh, I guess the first thing that comes to my mind is it's such a relaxed um, approach to running a um, an event, but it's 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 broken it down to its basics, and it it doesn't matter what level of photography you are at. People can come along no matter where you are in your career or in your hobby. You know, photography is the world's number one um, number one hobby, so it doesn't matter where you are in and amongst that. Um, you can be in and amongst people who have made a career out of photography and who you just want to feed off of and, and get input and get ideas. And it, it, I think it's the community aspect that I think is probably the biggest thing. Yeah, and that's always going to be first and foremost. I mean, it's held at a brewery for a reason. I think that's a big part of it being as relaxed and Absolutely. so, and the social element that comes along with that as well. You know, it, it, we always want it to be a big party first and foremost, and then for everyone obviously to walk away with some, some knowledge and some great experiences with their photography as well. I think my big, probably one of my biggest takeaways is the, uh, is the thing that was run last year is they put a, I was up on that up on that stage, and everybody, you know, had their um, their stories, and some of those stories were just absolutely hysterical. Yeah, and the secret um, word that you weren't allowed to say. Yeah, yeah, the secret word, and I <laughs> that you know, everybody said. 
you know, and that's what that's what I think it humanizes people like you know myself or or, or anybody else who'd been in the been in the career of photography for so long. You know, it's interesting that people put I put a lot of people that I'm standing up on stage. You you put them up on a on a on this pedestal kind of thing, but we're all freaking human. We we all make our mistakes. We all we all um, take photos, and we take photos because we we love it. Yeah, and you're all um, real okay. people. That was the biggest thing that I learned. That was the biggest thing that I learned in the first year that I was there. Was you're exactly right. There's these these photographers that we all put up on a pedestal that we follow that we idolize in the world of photography and it's that celebrity idea of, of you guys and then we meet you and we sit down and have a beer with you and realize hey they're all just really down-to-earth good people and that's also a testament to the instructors that Matt and Nick bring to the photography to, uh, sorry bring to the festival yeah, absolutely. And you know, one thing I thought was really, because uh, I put up a, um, I did a uh, tips and that went up on the, the BFOP um, website and the blog. And um, I just got an email this morning from it, this morning or yesterday, um, about um, BFOP. I, I just need to, to pull it up real quick. And um, yeah, so. Um, David James Hughes, who's been attending for a while, and we can we can name participants, can't we? Oh, we can name and shame for sure. Yeah, I'm not going to name and shame because I'm, <laughs> I'm going to name uh, I'm going to name him because you know he just you know great tips and it's good to um, to have it revisited, you know, because some of these people probably had some. Uh, I've been and I've done the the you know the uh, stage talk about photography tools and tips and techniques, whether it's lighting or camera craft setup, um, to have it, uh, revisited. Um, and then also then having, you know, the visual effects that I had with, with, the my four triangles, um, you know, it's, it's, it just, it, it, you know, cements what was talked and then, you know, for this person to, come back and say oh it's great to uh to do it again and you know i kind of forgot about it but you know it brings that back to the forefront yeah and it's easy for that to happen because you would be one of the quite clearly you're one of the most knowledgeable and most experienced photographers that i know that and that i think we have at the festival as well and and having flattering flattering. (laughs) and having watched your presentation yeah there's a lot of information in there especially for people that might be that have come to the festival that might be new to photography it could all of that information all at once can be very overwhelming and as we know as humans we can consciously remember only so much so having that reiteration of things will bring those things back and reinforce some of that stuff for people yeah absolutely so it's definitely thank you you're putting you're my head's now swelling the size of the screen. <laughs> I'm only speaking truths, my friend. Only uh, speaking on, truths. I just, uh, like I said earlier, my 30 seconds, I just love teaching photography. And, you know, my, my teachers were always passionate about teaching me photography. So I kind of feel like I'm, I'm passing the baton. Um, you know, they've passed me the baton, um, you know, and I'm now passing it forward. And, um, I just love the knowledge that can come along with photography. And the more you shoot, the more you 
learn. I'm always learning something, something, there's something new I learn about photography. Well, that's a perfect little segue into what are five things that you wish you knew when you started 33 years ago? More about light. Number one, more about light. You can see light every day, but uh, understanding the understanding of light and how light works with photography is is the pinnacle of photography. I mean, we, the word photography is light drawing. So you're using light to draw a picture. So light is definitely number one. Number two is probably controlling that light. And that's through your aperture, shutter speed, and ISO. And I, I break them up. Um, into in, uh, I compartmentalize each aspects of apertures, each aspects of um, shutter speeds, and also ISO. Meaning, um, for example, most of what I shoot these days um, is about f five point six f eight, and I flout around maybe at two point eight or even one point two for specific reasons. And I might occasionally go to F22 when I'm trying to slow the world down. I'm trying, for example, trying having blurry photos because I want a slower shutter speed. So I, by compartmentalizing, I break them up, for example, is, you know, your 1.2s all the way to, um, you know, F4 are your creative fun um, apertures. Your 4s, 5.6s, F8s for portraiture. And then landscape, landscapes, you then get into F11, 16, 22 is if you want a lot of depth of field and you're using landscapes. Shutter speeds, for example, you know, I break them down. Anything less than a 60th of a second, your camera better be on a tripod unless you want creative intent on motion. So you're panning, your creative intent. So otherwise, if you're shooting faster than 125th, well, obviously you're going to freeze the subject. So then you can hand hold your camera. You know, ISOs, um, you know, you, you, you know, one, one of the myths around photography, I'll talk about ISOs as a myth, you know, ISO is probably a, a huge myth um, because there's no reason why you should always shoot at ISO 100. Why aren't you shooting at ISO 800? If you need to capture the shot and freeze it, shoot at ISO 800. I'd rather a sharp image than an out-of-focus image or blurry image. So, you know, I always teach my students, uh, I start them off at ISO 400, and I don't let them change it. Oh, but I've been told it has to be ISO 100. Who, who told you that? There's some good points there. You know, you should use the whole range. That's there for a reason. Use the whole range. You know, use the ISO, for example, you know, aesthetic. All these tools have... Um, an aesthetic component and a technical component. The technical is obviously all about light. The aesthetic is the creative. Now, photography is all about being creative. Learn how to break the rules, but have purpose behind each setting, not just, you know, stick it on a setting and spray and pray. Yeah, and I think that's a good point too, is in, in ways of, yeah, okay, you may have done it that way for a certain amount of time, but that doesn't mean that you have to always do it that way that mm, you can mm. change those, push the boundaries as well. Yeah. So number so one, light, understanding so light was light. number one. Number yeah. two is really controlling all of your settings um, and your camera settings. Probably three, you know, this goes in, into, you know, my triangle stuff. Every, every, the three most important 
aspects to creating a great image is light, content, or subject, composition. So composition is something that um, I know I, I spent a lot of time um, working with when I was studying photography. But as a teenager, I never gave composition a real thought. And some, some of, I look back at some of the images that I took back in the early 80s, and I'm like, oh, that's really, I must have had composition, but I never really thought about it. Now, I probably when I shoot, I'm, I'm thinking about composition almost all the time. Well, that's such a big factor in the story of an image, isn't it, is how it's composed. Yeah, how it's framed. What, what, are, you, what are you using? You know, at the moment, I'm, uh, I'm trying to learn a little bit of um, and understand gestalt. I mean, it's a psychology and uh, it, it's more of a, um, you know, the, the, def the definition is an organized whole that is perceived as more than the sum of its parts. Oh, that's deep. deep. That is deep. So how are you? How are you tying that into your photography? Um, it's about using patterns and elements to create a uniform aspect of what you what you presented. So it could be patterns, um, you know, things like that, and associations, you know, with elements that are associated with each other in the frame. A friend of mine, he talks about gestalt quite a bit when it comes to framing, and so that would probably be another one that, uh, yeah, it was taught to me but I don't think I really grasped it until you actually get out and, and focus in on it. So I always say to my students that once you can grasp that technical, this, this camera um, that you've got in your hand, you want to be able to pick that up and not even think about its settings. You, you just grab it and you, you set it all up straight away and you go out and you shoot and then you don't even have to think about the, the, the technical side of the camera because you already know what, how the light's being read. Now you can focus in on the creative side and that's framing and, and composition and you know all those sorts of bits and pieces. Perfect. So number three is com composition. Have you got two other things that you wish you knew when you started out? How do I explain this? It's, it's probably about some, some of my students or, or people that I talk to are just so fixated on just, I want to be a landscape photographer and that's it. Well, that's great. So did I. I wanted to be a landscape photographer. I wanted to be, I, well, I, matter of fact, I wanted to be a, a sports illustrated photographer, right? And I was just showing my students, I've got a letter. I wrote a letter to Sports Illustrated back in 1980. I've got the letter here, Sports Illustrated <laughs> to me, right? So that was posted stamped back to me um, in. 1990. So I wrote the letter to Sports Illustrated and it came, yeah, in September 21st, 1990. Because I wanted to be there. I'm holding up the letter from Sports Illustrated there to me. Because I wrote them saying, um, basically, I wanted to become a photojournalist and specifically being a, a sports photographer. Were there schools that they could recommend? You know, I vaguely remember the letter, but if I look at the letter that they sent me back um, was um, highlighting practice. Shoot, 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 and keep shooting. But it's interesting because before I was Sports Illustrated, it was landscape photography. Then it became sports photography. And then when I was studying photography, it became scientific photography, and which led me down the road of uh, shooting for Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which then again, you know, going through all my old files, I found an old payslip from NASA, right? An old payslip. Mm -hmm. uh, I've, I've held on to some of these things, um, and I'm glad I did, because they do become talking points, and they become 
grounding aspects for me of who I am and where I started from. So that's my other point is don't get so shoot all other aspects of photography because they can influence greatly upon the genre of photography you want to specifically focus in on. So if you're landscape photography, well, the two-point perspective really works really well with, with architectural photography. Then how could you bring that into your landscape photography? Scientific photography, how is that going to influence? How is scientific photography going to influence landscape photography? I'll pose that question to you, Wes. What what would your answer be on that one? Oh, I don't think I've never really done scientific photography before. Focus on details. Yeah, there you go. So you can you can take it you can take it even deeper. Is landscape? No matter what you photograph, whether you photograph the human body or you photograph the physical landscape, the human body is a landscape. It just depends on how you frame it and how you shoot it. But even when you talk about macro photography you're getting even closer. It's still a landscape. How are you going to frame it? You're going to compose it. You've got to, you got, and how do you, how are you going to go into um, lighting it? So you've got to light it, right? So you're going sure. back to that pinnacle. You're going back to that grassroots. You've got to light it. And how do you, gonna, how are you going to light it? Will depend on how the mood and the image is going to feel. So that's how, you know, you could apply science to landscape photography. That's such a good point. I, I really like that. So, so diversify what you shoot because you're going to take elements out of different styles of shooting and take them into other styles that you shoot. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Perfect. So that's number four. How do we finish this? The only thing that probably last comes to my mind more about how to deal with people. Ah, that's, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, well, obviously that's potentially, well, no, it would, even if you're just shooting landscapes, you still need to know how to deal with people if you want to make a career out of photography. Well, it's also, you need to know how the landscape works for you. I mean, some landscape photographers sit on, sit on the hilltop for a day or two waiting for the right light. Mm. Um, and it's with people, um, so I never wanted to, even though I wanted to be a sports photographer, I didn't want to photograph people in front of my camera, and that's all I do now. Um, I kept saying when I wanted to be a landscape photographer, then I, I, I didn't. I wanted to photograph things that couldn't talk back to me. I remember saying that, um, and people talk back to you. <sighs> they certainly do all the time. That is really interesting. That now you do, like with your men's sheds projects, and all of that stuff you do. It is that all that so much of it is the people management it is about people management but and it's i mean it's the psychology that goes behind people and i'd love to study even more about the psychology of communication with people this is probably even if i wish i knew when i i wish i knew photography was going to go digital why is that why so because it's just so digital photography changes constantly but i look at i also look at i miss film too because film you either had it or you didn't and nowadays you can spray or pray um and then you can dare i say fix it in photoshop but you know i always try to teach my students to get it right in camera and get it right the first go and then you don't have to spend so much time you know behind a computer screen trying to fix your mistakes or trying to get rid of all the noise because you're, you're freaking out because you shot something at 1600 when it should have been shot at, you know, ISO 400 or 
200 or 100. You know, I have a friend of mine who shot a whole wedding at ISO 1600 and he was been in photography just as long as me and just didn't even think about it and just went out and shot a whole wedding at ISO 1600. And you sit there and you go, you what? How could you, what? You shot, how did, how did but, you do that? But it goes to show you we're all human and we all do we those all things mistakes. sometimes. Yep. Um, and my students laugh at me all the time because I'll, I'll, I'll grab my first thing, I'll grab my camera and I'll put it up to my eye and they'll all look at me and go, your cam's, your cap's on. <laughs> You're funny. Yeah, my cap is on. We all make that mistake, but we've all made mistakes. If you're we'll not do making that. mistakes in photography, you're not learning and you're not developing. Pardon the pun. Yeah, pardon the pun. I know. Um, so, <laughs> I, so going back on, on, I wish I knew digital photography was coming, but I also wish digital photography never came. But no, I, I understand what you're saying because there is when you get it, the, the whole idea of getting it right in camera. It, I can't speak for anyone else, but it makes it more satisfying when you get that image back and you look at that on your screen. You sit down. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna edit this and do what I need to do with it. When you've pretty much got it right in camera, it's a more satisfying experience than pulling the image up on your computer, getting into Lightroom or Photoshop, and then sitting there going, oh, shit, okay, I need to do this. Yeah, oh, I've got to fix that. Oh, I've got to change that. Oh, that's no good there. I'm going to have to remove that. Yeah. I'm going to have to crop it into here to cut that section of the photo out. It's just not as enjoyable when you have to go through that process. So if you can nail it, in, in camera, if you can nail it, then when you get it back on the computer and you look at it, you go, wow, yeah, this is a really good shot. I'm really happy with this. Mm. And that's, uh, I guess that's really where I'm coming from is that if you can get it right in camera, um, then you don't have to spend so much time. And not only that, if you get it right in camera, you don't have, you can enjoy the learning process of photography. So to pull all that back, and if the, the one most important piece that you think everyone out there needs to know is that number one, understanding of light? Absolutely. First and foremost. So, and that's sort of where, you know, we, we you know, you've asked me this, this question is what, what is my most hated photography myth? And I've covered both. Perfect. I was, I was just about to go there and you, you're already taking me there. Perfect. I'm on top of it, Wes. You are, you should be, you should be a host of a, of a podcast. <laughs> Maybe we should be the, the co-host. I'll be your co-host. As a, <laughs> you're the host. You're the hostess with the masters. Oh, stop it. Now you're flattering me, making my head grow too big. Now, so, so you mentioned that photography myths. There's a few of them out there, but the number one that grinds your gears the most is? There's no such thing as, as you have to shoot ISO 100 um, because you're going to get less noise. No, look, you got to remember that ISO just like apertures and shutter speeds, there's an aesthetic choice, so ISO, and then there's a technical choice, light. Um, how much light do you have? Um, am I, am, can I go outside right now and shoot ISO 100? Absolutely, 100%. Full sun, right? I'll break up in my ISOs. For example, if you're going to be shooting on a tripod and landscape photography, yeah, shoot ISO 100, ISO 200, because you can, you're slowing the world down. You're, you're allowing the, the, yeah, you're going to get a, a much higher quality image at ISO 100 or 200. Yeah, of course, better than 400 or, or, or 800 or 1600. Yeah, because the, the noise in the grain is going to be much, much smaller. If I go outside and it's a cloudy day and I'm trying to shoot ISO 100, it's really not really possible, especially if you're going to be trying to shoot a landscape in your hand holding your camera. Because you're probably going to be what I want to shoot, uh, you know, f11 for example at ISO 100, and my shutter speeds at 
you know, 30th of a second or 20th of a second. Well, what's the point in taking the photo then? It's going to be all blurry anyway because you, you, you've had five cups of coffee like me already. How many cups of coffee have you had today? Three. Three. But I will, as soon as we finish here, I will be going and making another one. I think I'm, I'm, I think I'm done. I'm on number four. That's, that's going to be enough for the day. But you're right because, you know, just because noise doesn't make a photo bad. No, it doesn't. It doesn't ruin a photo. There, no. there can be a creative element in it. And if the stories are there, if you go back and look at some of the most iconic photos from history, some of them are the, the noisiest photos that you've ever seen, but they have Absolutely. such a powerful story behind them that they are amazing images that will be amazing images forever. Mm. And they're out of focus too, mind you, because they were probably shooting handhold at ISO, you know, Ectopress 3200, for example, you know, at the press photographers in those days, you know, and there was probably no light in the room whatsoever. And they're shooting at like a tenth of a second wide open and it's the ISO 3200, but they still got the shot. And then yeah. the noise and the grains, the size of golf balls. It makes you, it does, it, it does make you sort of question what we focus on, once again, pardon the pun, what we focus on in our photography and what we spend so much time worrying about when it comes down to the settings. And you mentioned it before, we are so set and focused on these settings. How many shots have we missed because we're sitting there worrying about what settings we're on and looking at the settings in the camera and not actually looking at what's in front of us? Many of you know Nigel from Camera House. So in this next segment, Matt catches up with Nigel for a chat. Nigel's a man that knows things. So we asked him about them. This is Nigel's Knowledge. Hello, B-foppers. Matt Crummins here and welcome to our very first Tog Talks with Nigel Roper from Croydon Camera House to very, very briefly chat about all things equipment. How's it going, Nigel? Yeah, good. Thanks, Matt. How are you? I'm not too shabby, just staring at the four walls inside my quarantine jail at the moment, but still managed to pick the camera up every now and then, so that's pretty exciting. So tell me, Nigel, what is going on in the photography world? What are people doing in this weird, wacky isolation time? Yeah, I think um, what people have found that they can do and what we're seeing a bit of is um, macro photography, something you can do in the garden, do in the house. So it's, it's, uh, you don't have to go out amongst people to do it. And we've seen some great stuff coming through the through the through the shop. Yeah, I mean, I've seen macro photography popping up all over my Facebook feed, and you're right, you can do macro photography literally anywhere. So, um, that said, if you've not got a macro lens, are there any options just to start out, just to kind of taste test this uh, this genre? Uh, one of the things that um, we're seeing a little bit of at the moment is just, and people do, tend not to know about it, is close up diopters. So they're close up lenses that you put on in the front of existing lenses. And then anything from 80 to $120 around that sort of price. Um, and it gives you a nice close-up macro without having to spend $1,000 on a macro lens. So is that kind of just like whacking some spectacles on the front of your regular lens? That's exactly right. That's what it is. It's, it's like putting a pair of glasses on. The, you know, and, and in my age, I wear glasses for close-up. Um, <laughs> and, um, uh, and it does the same for your lens. Right. So, I mean, there's a massive price difference between the two of those things. So tell me, is there anything that I need to know about diopters um, before buying? Oh, there is. Um, so they come in a set of three. Uh, the diopter is a one, two, and a four. You can stack them, so you can put them all together and make a diopter of seven. They do lose a bit of sharpness, especially at the edges. 
great for flowers and that sort of thing, or um, where, where the centre of the subject is generally in the middle, because that's where it's going to be sharpest. So obviously it's not as ideal as a macro lens, and you're going to get a bit of quality drop there. But for your average punter at home, or if you've got kids at home, you want to have a bit of a muck around, um, this is a great option, yeah? Oh, yeah, it, it really is. And it's, it's just something you can go out and have a bit of fun with without spending a fortune. So can you buy these sorts of things for phones? I mean, those who you know, might have kids or something like that with the iPad or the phone, they want to have a bit of a play rather than using your expensive camera? Yes, they do. To your phone, there's a little clip on the front lenses that you can put on there as well. Um, and they're quite reasonably priced. Amazing. So there's a couple of really cool ways to get into a bit of macro photography in ISO at the moment. And so, Nigel, if people are interested in these sorts of things, obviously you are the owner and operator of Croydon Camera House. So how can people get in touch? We're open at our Croydon store um, and uh, we ship all over the country. Always just give us a call, send an email um, and uh, yeah, we'll be able to help anyone out. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nigel. So the number for Croydon Camera House is 97253816 and they can ship anywhere in the country. Thanks very much. And back to you, Wes. So what we want to do now, Craig, is we want to do a little bit of a, a bit of a critique on an image from your back catalogue. If you've selected one, we will put that up in the blog for the groupies to look at while they listen to this. And we just want to listen to you talk about potentially how maybe you would shoot an image differently these days compared to how you shot it back then and how you would edit it, etc. Have you got an image in mind? I'm just going to go to the very first photo that I did with my uh, my men's shed book, which was of my father-in-law. And um, with this one, with this image of my father-in-law, Gordon, if I were to do it again tomorrow, I would just light it a little bit differently. And the the way I would li- I would I wouldn't change the light on my on my father-in-law's face. I wouldn't change that uh, a bit. So how was this lit? So this image is lit by nothing other than the available light in in the uh, in his shed, um, and you can see the light coming from on the camera le- uh, camera right hand side, mm-hmm. uh, hitting the subject's uh, face on his left hand side of his face. Um, I wouldn't change that at all. Um, I I want to preface this by saying that every single one of my photos in my book were all shot on a tripod. Um, and I wanted to, again, this is a going into, you know, talking about wanting, uh, I said before, had I, uh, about wanting to know more, had I know way back when, is understanding how to work with people and communicating with people. Camera becomes a barrier a lot of times when you put a camera up to someone's face and it's a barrier between your subject and you as a photographer. Um, so anyway, so that I shot it on, on a tripod and, and you can see Wes that I shot it at a 30th of a second at F8 at ISO 1250. Um, again, the ISO was dictated by the room, by the light in the room. Now, if I were to do this differently, I'd probably still stick to the same, um, the same camera settings. Um, but what I probably would have done, I would have added more light in the background. Um, and more light in the background um, is about, um, you know, not only that, is when I shot this, the version of raw processing was a lot older than, uh, than it is now. Um, and I would, I would want more to come out of 
the shadows. I don't know if this is coming through your, my screen to you, Wes. Yeah, but I, I would have gotten a lot more. I would have wanted more light in that background. And I don't care about that noise. So, you know, when you zoom in and you look at that noise in that background, it's because I'm amplifying what's not there. So you can't bring nothing from nothing. So what I'm saying here is when, you, when you're working with light and you want light in the background, well, I just worked with the light that was here available. I would have just introduced a backlight onto my subject and would have added more light into the background to give, you, give me um, a little bit more, well, you want to say two ways. I want more to work with in the background, but less having to work with digitally mm -hmm. so meaning i get it right in camera exactly um and i don't have to try to pull out all of that detail that's in that background because if you look at that final image yeah see it just behind his over his um his shoulder it's there's just a big black hole sure um but if you look at there's there's so much detail um in behind the shoulder there's actually a caulking gun sitting behind his shoulder and you can't even see that in the image. So I probably would have gone in um, and would have added just more light into the background because that light in the background helps separate the subject from the background. I would have, would not have changed the light on him whatsoever. I just would have introduced a pop of, uh, of light in the background. Just a little hint in that background is what I would have done. Mm. You can also see that that do not disturb on the left-hand side was not in the original image. Yeah, I was just about to ask about I, that. I had to shoot it. I had to shoot it. Well, not twice. I had to shoot the original image, and then I had to shoot the do not disturb by panning the camera around um, because I didn't have a wide enough lens. I was on the widest lens I had, which was a 17 mil lens. That was on my uh, Canon um, 1D Mark IV, which is not full frame. Had it been full frame, I probably would have been able to get even more of a wider because um, it was already a cropped sensor on 17 mil. Hey, you mentioned, okay, I would, if I was in this situation again, I would backlight it. I would backlight the, the subject. I would probably we just add a little bit of light in the background. Yeah. Now, here's an so idea. Here's two-point perspective. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I got that leading line, and you got that leading line coming in here at the top here. So you got the lines of the workbench in front of him, and you've yeah. also got the lines so of the is, stuff this in is the using ceiling. A bit of two point perspective. Okay. Well, that's a good way to yeah, obviously show that to people. And you mentioned it earlier on in our discussion as well. It's it's a never ending photography is a never ending journey. You never get to a point where you know everything and you have nothing left to learn. There's always things that you pick up. Even for you, you mentioned it. You're still picking up on things after. Yeah, thirty-five odd years of being a photographer. Yeah, so I think if, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, what people, what I think everybody should do is instead of going, oh, I could have done something different in this photo. Yeah, of course you can. Well, you know what? Leave that image the way it is. Go do something new, and just go. Okay, what did I not do in the last image that I could do in this image? That's how you got to look at it. So you look at, you know, some of the other images that I've taken and yes, I've applied different lighting techniques, backlighting on, on Robin, you know, so you've got that real, that backlighting on the, on the edge of his head here, 
and I've I've added that element to that image rather than worrying about what I did on that last image. Stop yeah, worrying about exactly. the image that you took. Apply what you've learned, what you've done on that image, and apply something different to a new image. Which is how you continue to grow and evolve, really, isn't it? Correct. Next, we're going to hear from Carl. Many of you know Carl from Olympus as well. Carl lives in a different world of information. Some of it very interesting and useful. Some of it useless. We'll let you decide. Carl's World. Carl's World. Full time. It's lit. Hey, BFOP community. Today, RAW and JPEG. See, when anybody asks me to explain the difference between RAW and JPEG, I always begin with Albert Einstein. You might think it's a strange place to start, but if not there, then where? You see, most people think he got his Nobel Prize for the theory of relativity, but you'd be wrong. He actually got it for a paper he wrote in 1905, which formed the basic of something that today we call quantum physics. He examined a phenomena that had been discovered by Max Planck. Now, interestingly enough, Max's real name was Carl Ludwig Marx Planck. Promise you, no relation. Although well, both quite clever. According to Planck's discovery in Einstein's paper, light not only moves in waves, it also moved in little particles. And clever people call these particles quanta or photons. These packets of light contain the energy that is light. This enables us to measure the relative energy of different types of light. Why am I telling you this? Because think about it. In 1905, we knew that light hitting certain metals released a quantifiable amount of energy. Right then, we had the basis for the photocopy machine, the television, and yes, the digital camera. For those of you my age, we wouldn't have had to endure the Ronio machine through the 60s and 70s. But instead of inventing all these things, Einstein and his nerdy science friends ran off and started something called quantum physics instead. In fact, we had to wait until 1969 when Willard Boyle and George Smith at Bell Labs were researching metal oxide semiconductors, and they came up with a design that they termed in their notebook a charged bubble. Silly name. Later, they changed the name to a charge couple device, something we know as a CCD. So why am I talking about this when you're asking about RAW and JPEG? Well, because what we have in our cameras is millions of these little metal oxide buckets called pixels, each one recording the amount of energy released when light hits them. Our camera records the output for each pixel and gives it a value. Better than that, we can put a filter over the top, and now the camera is recording a value in red, green, and blue. The same configuration as the cones in the human eye. And funny enough, the same voting pattern that we find in inner Melbourne. Two greens for each blue and red. What the camera is actually recording is a huge bunch of numbers. That's all raw data, hence the term raw. And so when we edit a RAW, all we're doing is changing numbers. We're not altering an image. So the process is lossless. The file stays big, healthy, and full of all the information the sensor recorded. It's uncompressed, and you are the processor. However, when we shoot in JPEG, the camera is the processor. 
it applies its algorithms, it compresses the file, you know, normal, fine, super fine, the thing we change in Coffee and Olympus. Then the processor applies sharpening, correction, as it sees fit. And it works within two little paradigms, namely the white balance you've set and the shooting preference. In other words, have you set it natural, vivid, mono? It throws away all the other information and gives you a beautiful picture. The file looks better than your RAW straight out of the camera, but your ability to edit is severely reduced because all the other information's gone. RAW, however, is lossless. Remember, a RAW file is just numbers. It's not an image until you've converted it into one. So here's where the big difference comes. RAWs record 16 times the tones of red, green, and blue than a JPEG does. This results in around 68.7 million colors in RAW compared to only 17 million colors in JPEG not to mention the dynamic range where your ability to recover highlights and shadows is far greater in RAW. Don't get me wrong, the camera does a great job most of the time, but the camera works within its own ideas of how the image should look. When you do the processing, the resulting image takes into account your artistic genius. Your genius. Do you see how I did that? I started with a genius and I'm ending with one. Aren't I clever? So now, challenge time. So what we want to do every month as part of this episode that comes out at the start of the month is we want to issue our BFOP groupies a challenge that they can go out and participate in and then they can share the images that they create as part of this challenge in the group on the Facebook page. And we can try some different things and get people to try some different styles of shooting perhaps, or maybe think outside of the box a little bit. So Craig, yes, as a challenge for the month of May, what would be your challenge topic that you want to set for our BFOP groupies? Autumnal colors. Which is Autumn. on point as far as time of the year, obviously, or, or Tom, or wait on, <laughs> or Tom, or how do you, what is that word? <laughs> We'll just say autumn colors. Autumn colors. That's a much easier way to say it. Is that easier for you, Wes? Yeah, I get tongue-tied on words too. Autumn colors. I was, I was about to have an aneurysm. Autumn <laughs> colors. Okay, so we're going to leave that as open to interpretation and creative freedom for everyone. We're going to give them that much, but that's it. Just autumn colors for the month of May. So groupies, get out there. Show us how you interpret autumn colors, how you want to create that, and jump onto the group, the Facebook page and show us what you create. We'll be very, very excited and interested to have a look at these and how they progress over the month, and uh, we'll have a recap on that in the next month's episode as well. Awesome. Looking forward so to So, Craig, what else is happening for you, mate? What else have you got coming up? Um, I'm... I'm uh... Well, I was progressing on a new book, um, which was Men and Their Collectibles. So, um, so as soon as we get out uh, out of lockdown, I, I, I need to get out and shoot again. Mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to getting back into the classroom rather than teaching via um, video conferencing. Um, uh, I just want to get back out and, and shoot um, 
collections. So I've got quite, I've got a few people that I've uh, got a few names already um, to shoot, and um, I'm looking forward to getting out and shooting again. Yep, as we all are, I think we're all starting to go a bit stir crazy, and we'd love to be able to get out and do more of what we love. But Craig, thank you very much for sitting down with us and giving us. Uh, a bit of your time at the moment to put this together but we appreciate it and all going to plan touching wood fingers crossed hopefully we will see you in a in a few months up in bright absolutely that's what i'm looking forward to that's i think that's the big highlight on everyone's calendar at the moment is being able to get up there so we'll all be waiting we'll all be waiting eagerly to find out what's actually going to happen with it. But everyone, we will keep everyone posted whenever we can. Thank you again, Craig. I really appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed that episode and our discussion with Craig. Hope you got something out of it. Don't forget to check out the website and the blog, which will also come through the mailing list to have a look at those images that Craig was talking about. So you can visualize that as you listen along. And also don't forget to jump on the challenge autumn colors so let your creativity run wild create something that ties in with autumn colors and share it with us in the beef op groupies facebook page we would love to see what you guys create over the course of the next month